0: does talking about your money make you cringe are you tired of fighting about finances do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness then you are in the right place welcome to breaking money silence a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money your host kathleen burns kingsbury is doing what she does best as a young girl. She was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open.
1: I want to welcome Ken Lazotte to the podcast today. Uh, I know Ken quite well, have known him for several years, but let me tell you about his uh, credibility, which is very large when it comes to authoring books and helping people become thought leaders in their field. Uh, Ken has authored seven books, including his most recent, The Speaker's Edge, The Ultimate Go-To Guide for Locating and Landing Lots of Speaking Gigs, and The Expert Edge, Become the go-to authority that people turn to every time. Ken Lazad is the chief imaginative officer at the Emerson Consulting Group in Concord, Massachusetts. It's a consulting form, firm, excuse me, that transforms speakers and consultants into thought leaders by helping them write and publish their ideas as articles and books. Ken is a regular speaker at uh, business events, and he's been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, NPR, Fortune Magazine. Business Week, Writer's Digest, and Investor Day, uh, Business Daily. He also pens a column for the Huffington Post. Uh, like I said, Ken and I have worked together for years, so it's with a great honor to welcome you to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, I know you're. Uh, many people know you by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, but I know you by KBK, so is that okay if I call you that?
1: That is absolutely fine, Ken, and sometimes I prefer it, so that's great.
2: (laughs) You are KBK Wealth Connection after all.
1: I am, I am. So I know today we're going to have a conversation that we really haven't had in the past, which is about uh, breaking a money myth, and you brought a really interesting one to the show. So can you tell the listeners uh, what myth you want to bust open today?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking about uh, the myth that people have, or businesses particularly have, is that they really ought to maximize their profits by keeping their costs as low as possible. And I think that's a myth because, uh, for reasons we'll discuss, but uh, keep, you know, just the idea that you should have the highest, highest possible profits—that that's the the be all and end all of business—I think is a big, big money myth.
1: Which is really interesting because uh, working in the financial services field as a consultant, certainly, I know a lot of people uh, in that realm would definitely say, "Well, that's not a myth. Myth. Of course, you want to keep your business costs low so you can maximize profit." So, tell me a little bit about what motivated you to pick that myth.
2: Well, the key to me is not not just keep your uh, costs low. That's the, that's I think that's a fair goal, but it's the idea of keeping them as low as as you possibly can, uh, um, and which I think what's been important to me over the course of my business career is to invest as much as I can in, uh, let's say, uh, added services or um, consulting that will help me grow and improve and and things of that sort. And um, so when you try to just um, minimize your costs as much as you possibly can, then you're often making decisions not to spend money where you technically don't have to. So to me, that's, that's short-sighted. And there are lots of examples as I, you know, approaching this podcast, I started thinking about examples that have to do with not only myself, but uh, with clients of mine and, and also other businesses, other industries. So I think it's, I think it's really worth considering that maximizing your profits to, you know, to the nth degree is not necessarily the, uh, the best choice in business, nor, nor do I think it will end up maximizing your profits in the long run.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you um, brought up this topic, the first thing that came to mind for me in terms of my own experience is, you know, at the very beginning of KBK Wealth Connection, really trying not to spend any money on any virtual assistants or anybody who might, you know, help me with my schedule or do something that, in quotes, right, I could do myself. And What? what I found is that the moment I finally relinquished control and said, maybe, people could help me so I could spend more time doing what I do, you know, the absolute best, which is writing and consulting and speaking, that I might actually um, be a happier person. And ultimately, it actually maximized my profits or is continuing to maximize my profits. Um, so that's an example that comes to mind for me. Is that what you're talking about? And, and also, do you have other examples you can uh, throw out there for people to start to understand this myth?
2: Sure. Well, you know, you, you are one of the examples. Uh we met uh, years ago because one of your friends who had been a client and still is a client of mine uh sent you to me and the reason why she was a client the reason why you came to me was that both of you had the insight to want to separate yourselves from your competition rather than just sort of beat your head against the wall trying to trying to um, uh, better your competition. And the form that it took was the service that I offer, which is to help people position themselves as thought leaders, particularly by uh, writing and publishing a book. And you, of course, have gone on to announce your your third published book. Um, I think your fourth, uh, if you count everything you've done. No,
1: Ken, I'm on number five. You're on number five. Number five. and I. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, but I just uh, I just uh, turned it in today. So excited about that! Um,
2: right, yeah. right, right. But you could see that investing in uh, putting together a book, investing money, but also investing yourself, your time, your resources, which is something you do with this podcast as well. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't think in those terms. They don't think how could they? How could they? Uh, maximize profits by uh, maximizing their um, uh, the, 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 the 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 extent to which they win over their competitors by standing out from the crowd, and and so uh, as I say, you're one of my examples because not everyone thinks in terms of investing in becoming a thought leader the way you do and have done and the way uh, many of my clients do and, and frankly, the way I do.
1: Well, and the other thing that comes to mind, and I I know from um, looking at your more detailed bio that you've done coaching as well, I think another area where people often say, well, why would I spend the money to hire a coach. And I know, you know, your coaching is around writing and thought leadership. There's all sorts of different coaches. Um, have you ever ran into that personally for yourself and, and had some reluctance to spend some money on coaching to get to the next level? Or maybe have seen, you know, other people you've worked with do that? Because I, I know that's a big roadblock for a lot of business owners.
2: Right. Well, I think what I did uh, early on was not so much um, one-on-one coaching, getting a, getting a coach for myself although a lot of people really seem to benefit from that. But I always invested a lot in, in going to programs and hearing speakers and uh, becoming a member of organizations where I'm going to get some, uh, some sort of informal coaching from colleagues and things of that nature. And uh, I think that, again, that's the type of thing that, that particularly us consultants need to always be doing to as much as we possibly can But as regards your question in particular about a coach, the truth is, and and I think this speaks to maybe what you have to be careful about in terms of what I'm saying with this money myth, Um, I was always reluctant to get a one-on-one coach. I was always afraid that if I uh, went down that road that I might get a coach who wasn't very good. I'm really good at thinking things through myself. It just it just comes naturally for me to do that, and in combination with investing in, in learning by reading books and listening to speakers and going to programs, as I mentioned before, um, I always feel as though I can think my way out of things. So, but, fi- but finally, I, I was getting, there came a point when there was a, he uh, was really a colleague in an organization that I'm a member of, and he was starting out as a coach, and I was kind of holding him back, as far as uh, he was trying to was trying to press on me to become a client of his. I liked the guy, and I sort of gave in. It was it was against my better judgment, <laughs> you know. It really was. I still felt like I didn't really want to, but I thought. Then I also thought, well, may, maybe it would work, and it didn't work. It, he wasn't that good, and uh, so it soured me or maybe it confirmed for me that coaching that particular model for me wasn't the right thing. So um, that's not to say that my lesson is the, my my experience is the same for everybody. But for me, it, it wasn't the right thing. So I think what I'm saying is it's n- it's not about investing in just anything and everything. It, you know, there are choices to make and there are there, you you have to trust yourself in terms of what you invest in that can make sense. But maybe it's a matter of be don't be afraid to invest in something because you think it's going to cost money or more money than you want to spend. Try not to do that because when you do that, um, it it can warp. I think your your decision as to whether or not that investment would in the long run quite potentially truly maximize your profits.
1: Well, and what's interesting about that from a a wealth psychology perspective is it's um, if you think about always paying less or what's the least amount that I can spend, there is a way in which there's a scarcity mentality. Mm -hmm. So what I've found with myself and certainly people that I've worked with, um, both on a personal level as well as a professional level, is that if you start to invest in yourself, there's a way and doing so wisely. I think that's important. Every program, every coach, every, you know, I don't know, um, publisher, you know, whatever it is, isn't for everybody. So really kind of strategically thinking about those things. But what I find is that when people don't want to invest at all in themselves, um, what ends up happening is they stay very restricted and very small. And in some ways, a lot of times people end up being under earners. There's huge potential. But yeah. if you can't step outside yourself and say, how am I going to get to the next level, then you ultimately, I don't think, get to the next level. Now, outside of you and, and, and me, do you have other examples of how people who buy into this myth that keeping business costs as low as possible maximizes profits, how, how that can get in the way for somebody uh, as a business owner or even as a, as a person?
2: Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind is something I came across the other day that I was reading an article, and it's not it, it's it's more uh, 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 the um, the uh, the positive response to uh, breaking this money myth. Uh, and that is that so I was reading this article in the Boston uh, Sunday Globe magazine the other day. And it was about UPS, it was about road rage, actually. And the, and the journalist was say, was realizing that she was not the best driver in Boston, <laughs> either. It was about <laughs> Boston drivers and all, and how uh, we, uh, a lot of people complain about Boston drivers, but it's, she was real. She was about to make a, a ridiculous move uh, at a traffic signal, and she, she said, hey, I'm one of these, too. So uh, she... She decided to learn more about driver uh, safety and um, good driving and effective driving. So she wrote an article where she not only interviewed uh, people at UPS, but got uh, taken around Boston, driven around by the the director of safety for UPS in the Boston area. And, And he was showing all sorts of effective techniques for driving that were not uh, going to be dangerous to, to the driver or to other cars. But he was talking also about how UPS um, puts a, an enormous amount of money into uh, safe driving for their drivers. They, they, it's, it's, it's a high cost for them, but they feel as though by having safe drivers, ultra safe drivers, they will keep their accident uh, uh, levels down. And that will save them money, but they also acquire a reputation as a company that, when it's delivering our packages, uh, they're uh, they're going to be safely uh, transported. So I think if uh, you if you look at the flip side of that, and you have a company that's uh, I don't know about the major companies, but if you're uh, maybe a smaller company and you're trying to maximize your profits, if you're a, or a transport transport or delivery Package delivery company of some kind, something like that. But you're not investing in your drivers. Maybe you're just trying to get, you know, hire the best drivers with the best records or something. Um, then, uh, then the the what UPS's attitude is that the likelihood is that uh, you're going to uh, not have the, the stellar reputation that they want to have, and you're not going to keep your costs down. Therefore that impacts your your profits maximizing your profits
1: well and your brand and, and what you want the world to think of you as right. so valuable in terms of your you know long t- long-term sustainable business um, yeah. so if we just in a couple words, if you could reframe this, so if somebody out there is listening and says, Wow, I've I really always bought into that idea that I'm supposed to keep my costs as low as possible. Mm. Um, is there another way of thinking of it, or another mantra um, maybe that you've used for yourselves yourself, or we can come up right now um, that they can replace it with? You know, because often there's a money myth, and then it's like, oh, so how do I reframe that? What would the All reframe right. be?
2: I what comes to mind is invest in yourself and invest in your company, you know, in in in, in go beyond the um, the minimal investments and look for ways to expand. Um, wh- this this whole leading up to this podcast also got me thinking about another client of mine who uh, whose name I'll just say his name because it's a positive story. His name is Dan Cassidy. He's He's out here in the Boston area, and he's uh, he's an investment uh, consultant actually, and uh, he's always had uh, a healthy viewpoint of uh, investing in his people. So he would he he's perfectly fine with sending them to like seminars and uh, you know courses and whatever it is that might help uh, build them up, and therefore builds his team up. Uh, but the other the other side of that is that. He, he he has found occasionally that by having this attitude or this benefit for his people, that he can spot somebody who's not being the best um, person to represent him. And, and I'm thinking back to a time when he had brought somebody on to his company, and he kept recommending books for this uh, this gentleman to um, to read, and he. The Guy wouldn't read them. <laughs> he'd be in a meeting, and he'd say, "Well, how was that book I gave you? You know a couple of weeks ago, and'd say, "Well, I didn't really get to it." <laughs> so that that uh, that guy didn't really last very long in this company because Dan was able to spot that this wasn't really the the right uh, person for me. And in that sense, the uh, lack of investment, um, well, in, the, in this case, Dan's Dan's uh, worker the lack of investment uh, indicated that uh, this was a a drawback uh, to uh, his team and that he should get rid of them.
1: Right, right. So if somebody's listening in, whether they own a company like you and I do or whether they're a leader or whether maybe they they work for somebody else, uh, what advice would you give listeners um, to kind of combat this myth? You know, One or two tips on what they can do to kind of bust this myth wide open in their own lives.
2: Well, it's often... um, Recommended if you, if you read um, books on marketing or you talk to marketing uh, departments or companies that have a strong marketing department, that um, there should be a budget set aside every year for marketing purposes. And maybe a budget set aside for investment purposes is, is, is one of the things to think uh, that you would do ahead of time. So I think setting aside a certain amount, whether it's you know five percent of your income or whatever it might be, or or a set dollar amount, might be a good idea ahead of time. And then look look for ways to spend it. Um, so that's the first thing. And the other thing is I kind of harken back to what we were talking about before. Uh, um, be careful that you don't take this advice to just invest in anything and and do anything and you know, heed heed my warning with the story of the coach where I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't pay attention to my own uh, uh, sense about it that it didn't feel like it was going to necessarily reap rewards for me. And, um, you know, pick and choose. But pick, that's the main thing.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, with the coach example, I mean, sometimes this happens. And I've learned a lot about where to invest um, in my business and in my people by, you know, making bad hiring decisions, you know, trying to do something that other people were doing that I thought, oh, I should do that as well, quickly investing and then saying, oh, this isn't really me. So I think there needs to be some acceptance that it's not going to be a perfect road, but I like those tips. So budget for marketing and personal growth. It sounds like the other one was trust your gut and know that sometimes it's not going to go perfectly, but that's okay. That's part of the process of figuring out how to do it better going forward.
2: Right. You can't always know that something's going to work or you're going to get a, a return on investment for everything. But uh, you don't get a return on investment for anything in, in the realm of investing in yourself uh, <laughs> if you don't try anything.
1: Exactly. And and so, um, it, you know, as we wind down and, and have you tell listeners a little bit about where they can find you, I'm. I, I'm brought back to this image of me sitting at my desk the first time I was trying to decide, am I going to work with Ken? You know, at the time, the investment felt very large for me. And so I can remember going back and forth and back and forth and finally saying, you know what, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I I wrote out the check. We started the process. And who would have known? It's almost been 10 years, uh, three books later. Uh, And it seems to have worked out for me. So uh, I am case in point, somebody who believes in your message. Um, So where can people who are interested in learning more about you uh, find out more about your services? And then I also know that you have um, a nonprofit project that you've worked on that's near and dear to your heart that I want to make sure you have time to mention.
2: Sure. Well, uh, the website is thoughtleading.com. That's like thought leadership, only it's uh, an active verb, I-N-G, thought leading. Um, and so it's t h o u g h t e l e a d i n g dot com, and if you go there, you'll uh, you'll you'll see we have a menu of our services, um, and the, both books that you had mentioned early early on, um, and then as far as the prof the project that's near and dear to my heart, the, uh, it was a book that I shepherded through, uh, guided through the past four months. It was a self published book. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm president of the Board of Trustees at Thorough Farm, which is the birthplace of Henry David Thorough. And um, in, the, in this particular year, with all the uh, issues that are at stake, uh, particularly in relation to the way the new administration is handling things, uh, we of the Board of uh, Henry David Thorough's birthplace decided that our contribution might be to gather. A collection of uh, scholars and authors and citizen activists and just uh, anyone who, who might have something to contribute to a collection of essays uh, under our title, What Would Henry Do? If he were alive today, what would he think, what would he say, what would he do? Um, and we've got some amazing people that are in this, uh, in this collection, including Jimmy Carter, who, who contributed an essay to us. So this is called "What Would Henry Do," and you can find it on Amazon. And you can find it in Barnes and Noble. Um, but this is a, this is this is an example of if uh, you were uh, wanting to position yourself as a thought leader. By the way, it's important to know that this was a self-published book, and self-published uh, books are uh, that process is a good option here too, uh, as, as, along with. Um, uh, the, the other option of uh, deciding to find a publisher to work with. And that's how we did this book. But uh, that's that's what it's called, What Would Henry Do? So
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ken. I hope people check out your website, uh, thoughtleading.com. Also, uh, both his, well, he has several books, but both the recent books are on Amazon, The Speaker's Edge and The Expert's Edge, and definitely Um, I want to check out this book of What Would Henry Do? uh, Given everything that we're dealing with today, I could certainly use a little inspiration. It's in the mail. It's in the mail. It's in the mail. Excellent. I get a gift for you being on my podcast. This really works out well, Ken. I like this relationship. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. Um, And everybody, please, uh, like I said, check out Ken's work and tune in again for Breaking Money Silence.
0: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence
2: for good.